Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Today on the podcast, my guest is Mitchell Bowling. Mitch is a retired Air Force Senior Master Sergeant who spent 25 years working on fighter jets and leading the people who maintain these incredible machines. He is the author of Leadership, A View from the Middle, which is an amazing book about leadership from a completely different perspective. If you're a leader or a future leader, chances are you're right in the middle of your organization. You are not going to want to miss this episode. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to episode 10 of the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mitchell Bowling, who has a really interesting background. He spent most of his career leading men and women who maintain the world's most sophisticated fighter jets. He came up through the ranks in the Air Force and retired as a senior master sergeant after 25 years of service. He knows what it means to lead, specifically what it's like to lead from the middle of an organization. He is the author of Leadership, A View from the Middle. Mitch is an expert on what it takes to lead from right where you're at. And I'm so glad he could join us today. So, Mitch, welcome. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. I'm honored. Well, it's so good to have you. And um, you have a really interesting career history. I mean, 25 years uh, in the Air Force. So tell us a little bit about your military background, your military experience. Okay, so... I joined the Air Force in uh, 1983 as a uh, uh, F-16 avionics specialist. So I just wanted to learn electronics, and and that's what I ended up uh, uh, getting into was working on fighter aircraft. So it turned into 25 years working on the flight line uh, all over the world, uh, learning everything about the F-16 and all the different uh, levels and uh, <clears throat> of the organizations and the experiences. Uh, it was actually really interesting, 25 years, all different bases across the world. So you started in, as an enlisted, uh, you start, started off in, from the ground up, right? So you started as a basic enlisted coming into yep. the Air Force, and you moved up in, in your ranks, right? So in, typically in the military, you're promoted, uh, you know, after a certain amount of years in, in a rank. So yeah. So, how did how many ranks did you progress in your time in in the Air Force? So I, I came in as an Airman Basic, which is E one, okay. and and you know I finished off as a, as an E eight Senior Master Sergeant. But yeah, there's there's plenty of uh, of level ups, if you will, different ranks throughout the career. Um, when you start out, you're uh, a trainee, and then you get the you get the promotion after a year or two, uh, kind of automatic promotion as you uh, progressing your training and stuff. Um, once you're in for a few more years, um, you know, you, you start taking tests and that includes not only tests on your, uh, how good you are in your career, but also like leadership, uh, tests. And so the guys in the, in all branches of the military really are constantly studying leadership and, 
and getting better at their jobs. And we test uh, uh, each time to gain that next rank. So mm -hmm. as you get uh, farther along in the career, then you get more responsibilities. Uh, you start uh, growing as a leader, that kind of thing. So that's that's an interesting perspective. I'm a Navy guy, so I, I saw it as well um, uh, in in you know in my time in the uh, in the Navy. But um, so as you progress in your ranks, you get more and more responsibility, as you said, and you also get more and more people that you're leading, right? Yeah. Um, so when so when um, when did you start asking? You know, how long into your career before you were starting to ask to be to to be a leader or to lead? small groups of people. How, how quickly did that happen? Sure. Like, heck, as soon as I was trained, I was already going out on jobs with another guy teaching him how to work on the aircraft. So even at that level, as a E4, you know, mm. already going out and influencing people as they did their task schemes and stuff like that. But uh, once you make E5, you're an NCO, a non-commissioned officer, and then you start becoming more of a formal leader where mm. you'll, you'll actually you know, lead work crews and have several people assigned to you. So two mm -hmm. or three or four people, if you will. And then as you progress on, um, there's different career, not career fields, but different duty titles to go along with these ranks. And, and like when you get up to, let's say, uh, E6 and the Air Force, that's a technical sergeant. Uh, this person is now, um, you know, he's leading groups of 20 people, 30 people um, in the on the flight line, we call them the expediter. So, so the expediter is the one who controls all the people under him and sends them out on their tasks and jobs and stuff like that. He's the expert of, of uh, the little group. And then the next rank up is a, a E7 master sergeant. And, and from there you become, you're part of what we call the top three, the, the senior NCOs, the senior non-commissioned officers. And so those in, in that rank, um, now they're like a manager, so they'll control and, and lead, uh, groups of people from anywhere from <clears throat> like 40 to a hundred people. Um, and they're the office manager, if you will. Mm. Uh, and then the, the senior master sergeant, the next step up, you're, you're more of, uh, uh, you're in charge of groups of people. So when I was a senior working on the flight line, I was actually a production superintendent, which the, the production superintendent is the guy in charge of the whole flight line. Everything mm -hmm. that goes on on the flight line goes through him. And, and how many a, people, how many people does that affect? Sure. Like uh, 125 people uh, worked in our squadron and they're all working for the same effort. And that's, uh, you know, turning sorties on, and on F-16 aircraft, wow. you know, fixing them, getting them ready for the next day, launching them off and then fixing them again, starting the whole process again. So as a, as an E7, E8 uh, production superintendent, you know, I was, I was leading the, the team with 125 people or, or so on. So my last posting after I got done with that was um, I, I went up to what we call the wing level where for the whole base, I was the, uh, what we call the wing avionics manager. So I was the, the, the lead avionics person for the F-16s for the whole base. And there was about 400 uh, avionics people wow. on our base. So and that's where that, I talked about. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's one thing I, I like about the military is <clears throat> you start off leading like a one person, right? You know, teaching, training, showing a, a junior level person to next thing you know, you're, you're leading 800 people uh, yeah. in, 
Yeah, that's that's incredible. What, at what point in your career did you realize that you were actually a leader, like like people depended on you? And how did that affect you when you realized that, whoa, I'm, I'm actually the leader here? Well, I tell you what, I, like, I, like I was saying, I, I've been all over the world and different bases and whatnot. And uh, one of the places I, that I was stationed at was uh, in Korea. I was Osan Air Base in Korea. And when we go to Korea, we go there for one year at a time, and it's called a remote tour. So you're off there, you know, without your family and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So what tends to happen is you you, you tend to uh, get more in tune with all your coworkers, and you, you become a family kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was while I was there on my first tour, which that was probably my eleventh uh, year in the Air Force. I was a young uh, staff sergeant, and there was things that happened throughout that year that I was there that just really made me feel good about being a leader. Um, Different instances, like uh, for instance, um, we had a big job that was coming up and it was going to be like a Friday night and everybody was going to have to work all the way till Saturday. And I stood up and says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll come in this weekend and do this task and get it over with. So you guys don't have to, work the whole night through, but I, I need volunteers to help me because it's going to take a few people to get this tasking done and hands shot up all around the truck and, and people were, were wanting to follow me and go and do this task. And so when I said that, and these hands shot up all over the truck, I, I was, uh, I got this feeling like, wow, they're, they're really, they really listened to me and they really want to follow me with this crazy, uh, give up my weekend task, you know? And so that's just like one little example of, of something that I did that uh, it made me feel like, yeah, these, these guys are, are listening to me. They, they trust me and they want to follow me into the tasking. And by the way, we, we all came in on the weekend and, and we, we uh, did the tasking and everything was ready to go by Monday morning and, and life went on. So it kind of made me feel good. You know, it's funny because that story's in the book. You tell that story yeah. in the book, and that's actually one of my favorite stories in the book. And you call it, you call that the follow me moment, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. you described it as uh, sort of like the the star, the sergeant who stands up on the battlefield and said, everybody follow me. And, yeah. uh, and this was your first chance where you actually saw that, whoa, everybody raised their hands, everybody volunteered, everybody is, is following me. So yeah. I, I love that story. Because it illustrates that moment where you realize, holy cow, I'm in charge, right? People are following me. Yeah. 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 And, the, and the, it became my uh, telltale sign that I did something right. Like I got these shivers down my spine, like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that sort of, that kind of went on through my career. Like whenever I would do something right or say something right, yeah, it seemed right, you know, um, it was received well. Uh, then I'd get that feeling like, ooh, that, that, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, these, these guys are listening. I like so it. So you, you get those moments where you're like, I, sure. okay, I'm in charge. I, I see it. You know, I, I, I get that feeling. Neat. Yeah. yeah. And I like that story. Um, by the way, this, this book, um, Leadership of View from the Middle, I absolutely love this book. And um, I, fortunately, I, I, was, uh, I got an early copy of it. Uh, Mitch and I met uh, before the book was actually published, so I got an advanced copy, and I loved it from the minute I, I read it. Um, I think it's the most, it's, it's one of the most unique leadership books that's ever been written. And the reason I say that is most books are written from a CEO's perspective or an entrepreneur or somebody in a very 
high level in an organization that's looking down and, and you know, that has all the answers because they're in charge and they're, you know, they're the top of the, of the organizational chart. But <clears throat> what I liked about this book is you talked about leadership from, from the middle of the organization as a senior enlisted, um, you know, Air Force as you as you moved up in rank in in the senior enlisted positions, you were basically uh, a, a middle manager, like you might be in any big corporation around the world. You were that frontline supervisor, <clears throat> and so I think that the way this book is written, it's really uh, tells a compelling story of how you can lead from right where you're at. And you may not be, you know, you may not be a general, right? But you're a frontline supervisor getting getting the job done. So I, that's why I like this book. So what, what compelled you to write the book? And, um, and what's been the response so far since you've got it published and, and you've been selling it? Well, I've always, I've always wanted to write a book. I just didn't know what kind of book I'd end up writing, hmm. you know. And uh, I had this person that really turned my career around. Um, it was actually my first couple of days on that tour in Korea. Um, and he did something that really opened my eyes to leadership. And in fact, his, his, um, his comments actually stayed with me for the rest of my career. And it, when I started thinking about writing a book, his comments and his influence on me is what uh, provided the Genesis in my mind to actually sit down and write a book, Mm. you know? So I, I would sit down and, and think about, all, what kind of different things have I done in my career that I think would, would maybe help somebody, yeah. you know? And, and again, like uh, taking the, the angle from, um, from the middle, I've, I've, it's my thought that uh, leaders are present at every level of every organization in the world. And, <clears throat> and it's, it's just something that I, I thought was important and I wanted to get the the word out, if you will. So, uh, you know, I, I thought about a leadership and, you know, there's probably about 15,000 leadership books in the world. And, <laughs> yes. you know, it seems like the majority of them are, are written from, from like the CEO or a known academic expert or whatever. But, you know, I'm, I'm just a regular guy. Um, the, the thing is, I, I've been there and I've lived it. And I, I wanted to be able to provide something that, um, Oh, it's not really as a technical point of view like a like a college textbook would be, um, but don't get me wrong. There's still some technical aspects to my book, but I was also thinking about making it like a storytelling thing. So mm-hmm. these are my experiences and the lessons that I learned uh, throughout these experiences. Because you know, storytelling in itself is a, a form of leadership communication. It is. You know, it is. Plus, it'll. I, my thought also was to, you know, I don't want it to be a dry, boring textbook. I, I want it to be entertaining as well. So that's why, you know, I put some stories in there about flying in the backseat of the airplane and how, you know, you almost lose consciousness and stuff like that. And uh, just something to make it more interesting. And yes. it was, a, it was a, a, a fun ride. I really, I really enjoyed writing. It made me feel good. Like I was telling you before, it's, uh, it was very therapeutic for me to go yeah. through and, and write about that stuff. So, well, um, that's, and that's one of the reasons I like the book too, because there's so many stories in it and maybe because I'm a, I'm an ex-military guy myself, but I just love the stories and I love, I love hearing, 
you know, I, I think there's one story in the book where you guys were doing uh, sort of some sort of a simulation where there's an attack on a base and and you can't, oh, yeah. you're in a leadership position, but you can't lead because you're a simulated shot dead, right? I think. And then, yeah. Um, and so the guys under you have to sort of take charge and get them, you know, and turn the aircraft around, even though you're not able to do it. I think that's one of the stories in the book, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually one of my favorite ones. Uh, it's it's called Pressure because I tell you, uh, John, working on the flight line for 25 years, that is a lot of pressure. Those yes. guys get under the gun every day to turn jets and make them make them work, you know, fix them and, and get them flying again. And we also have to do that in wartime and we have mm-hmm. to be able to train for that. And so uh, my position was I was the, the guy in charge of the flight line and uh, the the people that were running the exercise, they took me out of the they took me out yeah. basically. And and the way I put it in the book was it was the best combat nap I ever had. I just <laughs> sat there and kind of snoozed for twenty minutes while chaos uh, sort of came down on everybody. So it was it was very uh, memorable. <laughs> A lot combat, of pressure. Combat nap. I love it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Um, so one of the things you talk about in the book, which I liked and uh, and I believe in, is you talk about um, leading by example. And you say that that really, you know, if you can lead by example, it's one way to become a good leader. Why, why is leading by example so important to you in your experience? Well, that, um, that leading by example, that's <clears throat> what I was uh, kind of alluding to a little bit ago was um, that's what really bloomed in my mind to write the book. Mm. Um, the, the guy that, that I was talking about when we were in Korea, uh, he was going to be my supervisor. And the, the two of us kind of arrived at the same time. And we went out there and there was he and I and a young airman. And the three of us were tasked to go out and just sweep up a hangar or something. And so we went out there and, and uh, he and I, he was the technical sergeant. I was a staff sergeant. We went and we grabbed our brooms mm-hmm. and we we're going to sweep. And the young airman comes up and tries to take his, his broom away. And he says, well, and the airman said, uh, you know, I'm the airman. I need to be the one doing the sweep. And you're the tech sergeant. You shouldn't be doing that. And he, uh, he tugged the broom back away from the airman. And, and he says, you know, how do you expect me to send you out on a job that I'm not willing to do myself first? I love it. I love it. And it was that right there is leading by example 101. Yes. And it just kind of stuck with me for the rest of my career. Yes. And so um, I try to do, to do that in my daily work. And it kind of leads to, um, you know, leading from the middle. Yes. When you're in the middle of the organization, you're not necessarily the boss. You're not the guy at the top that's going to tell people to do stuff. You have to get them to want to do stuff. You know, because they're going to be like your coworkers or people around your level. And we really can't just tell them to go out and do that task unless we do it first. So right. leading right. by example is saying, like, I, I'm, I'm willing to go out and do that job. You know, so now I know that you can do the job, too. Mm. And that's what I try to do in my job is do um, I, I can do all the tasks that my guys can do. Mm. Uh, and so that kind of helps them to want to keep working uh, with me also. That is, that is so powerful. That is so powerful. So being willing to do, to do, you know, not, you tell, not just telling people what to do, but, but be willing to do it as well. So not, not having people do things that you're not willing to do. I, I love that. 
Uh, and I love the story of the broom. And I, I wasn't going to ask you about it, but I was thinking about the broom story. Uh, yeah. you, uh, then you kind of led right into it. So yeah. one thing you said in the book, and I liked, and because I believe in this as well, is that um, you describe where a leader has to provide both physical and emotional support. What do you mean by that, physical and emotional support? Well, you have to have empathy and you have to, mm. you have to be able to be there for your people. You know, you have to show them that you care. Um, emotionally, that's, that goes right into that. You have to show them that you care. You know, I had a, I had a, a guy who worked for me uh, in the Air Force who he had a personal dilemma, and, and he came to me and told me about it. He trusted me and told me about mm. it, and he, he literally cried on my shoulder. Mm. And I felt so uh, – I, I was so taken back by that. Like, he would – he was literally trusting me and literally crying on my shoulder mm. uh, and then trusting me with his problems. And I did my best to help him out and it, it turned out okay. Mm. But, um, you know, so we have to be there. We have to listen to our people and we have to uh, be there for them in their times of need. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sometimes it's just, it's just simple enough to where you, uh, you bring donuts in for people, mm. you know, you just yes. bring donuts in and say, all right, you know, I, I care about what you guys do for, for us here. And, and I care about you personally, and and I'm I'm going to show you that by just doing something nice for you. Just mm. it's for the team, you know. Like uh, so, physically, you got to be there for them too, you know. So you got to be there emotionally. You got to be there physically, uh, and and show them that you care. And you even touch on this because I, I don't think I've ever seen this written in any other leadership book. But you also talked about um, eating with your people, like having oh, yeah. a sharing a meal together, and how that creates the bond, creates the relationships. And, yeah. And, uh, right. Yeah. 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 That was, I wrote a whole chapter on food. How about that? And yeah, book, huh? that's about the, that's <laughs> the first time in any leadership book, we had a whole chapter on food, but yeah, but it is really true. I mean, you, you build those bonds. There's something about eating together. Um, I know we, at my company, we have like, we do Thanksgiving and Christmas together, but our Thanksgiving meal is everybody brings something in and, um, we just all share. I think I, I, you know, the company buys the meat and then everybody else brings side dish and dessert, but we yeah. sit there and we eat our meal together. Well, we had some visitors this past uh, uh, Thanksgiving. We had three visitors from another company and it was, the, it was the day of our Thanksgiving feast. So we said, well, come on, join us. We're just going to eat together. And they were just amazed they, that, that we would have this kind of a meal together and that we would just, you know, we, we were joking. It was a lot of fun, but they could see the deep relationships that we had with each other in the company. And I think they were really surprised. They had never seen that before in a company. So I think, yeah. I think sharing a meal is something that people don't talk about in leadership books, but you did. And I think it's really important. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely important because that's how people come together. Right. You know, right. even if it's a little, uh, a little thing like, um, bring a pizza in and set it down on the table and say, I really appreciate what you guys did this week. You know, it's been a tough week. I appreciate what you do here. Have this pizza. Yeah. You right. Know, let's, let's right. Grab, grab a slice, you know, right. That's it's, it's, it's easy to do. Um, and it's not that hard. Yeah. And it says a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you, so you've been out of the air force for what, almost 12 years. Is that right? Well, 12 years. Yeah. 12 years. So what's the biggest difference you've seen as you've transitioned out of the military? What's the difference between from what you saw in military leadership to civilian leadership? And you don't have to get yourself in trouble, but <laughs> just, just some general observations about uh, 
civilian leadership versus military leadership? Sure. Well, um, one thing about in you know in the military we move around so much mm. that the the people tend to to turn turn around like to, uh, it's called turnover like right. every couple of three years you get a whole mm -hmm. new crew of people and so there's a lot of different ideas and a lot of different changes uh, some good some bad in the military um, outside of the military you know sometimes you work with the same people for thirty years right and right you gotta you just you gotta uh, you know, get to know them, get to know, know that you're going to be working with them and know that there may not be a lot of changes. So it's, it kind of comes a little bit more of a, a challenge, if you will. Right. right. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, you know, sometimes from a management standpoint, you know, people do get um, complacent and, and they get onto the same old, the same old thing over and over kind of thing. They get in those habits. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes, I, when I first started in the civilian world, I was still trying to tell people, look, this, this can be a better way. Let's do it this way. Yeah. And they're like, no, nah, no, 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 we tried. Everything's fine. Ago. You know, right. we're, we're just going to keep doing <laughs> that's the way, not the way we, that's not the way we've always done it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So change is good. Yeah. But you don't want to change just for the sake of change, but you also should be open to it. If, if right. there's some good ideas. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, people do get put in these positions for a long period of time, and sure. uh, they get stuck in their ways. Yep. Yeah. You never could get stuck in your ways in the military because you're always changing. And like every time we went on, I made seven deployments. Every deployment we had a you know different. You know, there were some people that were the same, but you'd have whatever twenty to thirty percent different crew members show up, and that just changed the whole personality of the team. You know, every time. Oh, sure. So yeah. yeah. You could never be complacent. Absolutely. Yeah, I, write, I write about complacency a lot in the book, too, because, um, you know, especially working on airplanes, mm. you know, um, you can't get complacent about your work because I, one of the things I used to tell people is, you know, we, you know, we, we work on multi-million dollar aircraft that, that fly over our heads carrying somebody inside the airplane. You know, we got to not be complacent about our job. We have to do things right and stuff like that. Right, right. So, yeah, You're, someone's life is is in your hands every time yeah. you're maintaining that aircraft. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, um, w just your opinion. Why Why do you think there's a shortage of good leadership in uh, in business today? I mean, you mentioned it. There's fifteen thousand and fifteen thousand books written on leadership. So we're trying to get better as a uh, you know in companies and corporations. But why do you think it's there's a shortage? I think there's not enough um, training available, mm. like from the corporate side. Um, you know, from what I've seen outside of the military, uh, it doesn't seem to be a lot of available training for uh, regular employees. Right. Um, you know, as opposed to in the military, you know, we we um, we would go through a formal training class about every three or four years. Like that's a, a week or two long. Mm. As we grew through our careers, we would have formal leadership training. And then also every year we would get tested on leadership specifically right. so that we could advance in the ranks. And I didn't really notice that too much um, in the civilian world. And, and uh, that's another uh, kind of podium stomper that I, that I try to say is, you know, if, if corporations today can invest in their, their employees by 
um, you know, offering leadership classes that might help them to uh, not only help the employees to advance in their own careers, but also to um, help the business uh, become more successful. Now, I know that leadership isn't for everybody. Um, people don't necessarily want to be, they don't want to force down their throats. But um, I think for those who are interested, I think it should be available. And if your company's not providing that, then I, I recommend you do it on your own. You know, go to, go to college and take some uh, night classes or something like that, you know, because it does, it, it's really worthwhile to, to learn about leadership. And for myself, you know, I'm no expert, but I, I consider myself a lifelong learner of this mm -hmm. subject, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm always, I'm like a sponge. I'm always trying to, mm -hmm. to learn more about that. Me, myself as well. And that's, that's why I love podcasts. I call it uh, Dashboard University, right? So you're, <laughs> I get every time I'm going into work or coming home, I'm listening to podcasts and I'm trying to learn as much as I can from experts, from people, people like yourself, you know, I want to hear, hear the stories. And, and when I do hear about a good book, I want to, you know, I dive into it like your book and just sort of absorb everything from, because I mean, where can you get 25 years of wisdom, right? Well, you can get it right here in this book. And I think that's, that's what's, what's great about um, people like yourselves who, who take the time and actually write the story down so others can learn from it. So I know in my, you know, I've been a leader for 30 years. And, and the reason I'm doing this podcast and I write books is because I want people, I want to help people. And I think exactly you the same reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a you know you asked me what, why I wrote the book and how I went about it. Really, when it when it boils right down to it, it's because I want to help people. That's it. I just want I want to people to hear my message and hopefully it will help them in their career or in their personal life. That's great. I love it. I love it. So, um, what advice would you give to new leaders? So, someone that might find themselves in the middle of the organization. They have uh, now become a leader. They've been promoted for what reason, for whatever reason. And uh, so how, do, how can they make an impact early on? How can they become an effective leader uh, in the middle of an organization? Yeah, one thing they need to do is, is uh, uh, listen. <laughs> uh, active listening is a good skill. Yes, because um, you're I always believe in this. <laughs> yeah. I've written, written about this as well. <laughs> active yeah, listening. yeah. So, you know, you want to uh, learn as much as you can, uh, I guess, listen more than you talk, mm. if you can. Um, and then, uh, especially down in the, in, the, in the middle of the organization, leading from the middle, like I was saying before, um, you have to be willing to uh, go out there and lead by example. Yes. You know, because it's, it's, it's difficult as a, uh, somebody in the middle of the organization that's a new leader to just go out and say, all right, you're going to go out and do this job. No, you got to say, let's go out and do this job. Mm. Um, and it's, it's really evident, like uh, in the military, um, whenever somebody transitions from an airman or a senior airman in this case to an NCO or a staff sergeant, one day they're their best buddies. And then the next day he's your supervisor. Yes. You know, so it's, you, you can't just start the, uh, throwing your rank around and, and that kind of thing. You have to be genuine. You have to be authentic. Um, and it, I think it all, it, it's really important just to do that whole, uh, you know, lead by example thing. Let's yes. go out and do this job. Let's, together. yeah. Let's, let's as, as, as us, not you yes. go do the job. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So uh, last question. 
So I appreciate all your insight. Um, and I've been asking this question to all my guests. So um, in your opinion, what are some characteristics of a great leader? What, what's some characteristics of a leader that's worth following? Well, there's a ton of them, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, just give us a few. <laughs> well, you, you, you have to have energy. Mm-hmm. You, have to be, you have to have the energy to actually be there and show up. You have to have compassion. You have to care about the people that you're charged with leading. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be competent in, in what taskings you are uh, mm-hmm. charged with also. So, you know, there's, there's lots of traits. Um, there's lots of traits to being a, a good leader. And I think if you have those, and uh, in addition to like, uh, you know, lead from the heart, it's, it all mm-hmm. kind of goes into just caring, I think. If you can care more about the people that you that you're charged with leading, then you'll be more successful. So caring about people, being there, being present, uh, being leading by example, as you mentioned several times, uh, being there emotionally, physically for people um, and leadership is a people business, isn't it? Absolutely. That's my tagline, I have to say. I know, and, and I love it. <laughs> no, but it's true, right? So, and I think what you talked about just there is just being there for people and being a uh, someone that cares, leading from the heart. You just said it. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time, Mitch. I really appreciate that. So how can people get more information about your book or connect with you? Okay, so um, my book's available on Amazon. You can also uh, buy it from my website, mbbowling.com. That's a kind of a new venture for me. I started doing the website in January and, you know, it talks about my book and uh, provides a, a, a opportunity to purchase it. And also I have a blog where some of my leadership thoughts uh, are, are offered. And you can also find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is mbbowling, at mbbowling. Um, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook also. So, but yeah, but the, uh, yeah the, 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 the website is the one I'm most proud of right now. Is that's kind of a new venture for me, and I'd love it if you could uh, go visit it. Okay. We're, and what I'm going to do, thank you. I'll, I will add all those links uh, to these resources in the show notes so you can um, reach out to Mitch and thank him for being on the podcast. You can ask him questions, and he's more than willing to uh, – to share his ideas and his thoughts and um, uh, his website's great. I've been on it. Uh, he's also very insightful on Twitter. So, um, you know, look at the show notes and follow through these links and you're going to see some great content, especially if you're a leader and you're looking for advice and how to be a better leader. You want to listen to Mitch. He's, he's been in the trenches. He's no, he knows what he's talking about. So, you know, don't make the mistake and uh, try to think you know everything. Why don't you learn from somebody who's been doing it for 25 plus years? So, um, so leaders, uh, no matter where you're at in the organization, I highly encourage you to pick up this book. And uh, despite what you might think, we're all in the middle. Even as CEO <laughs> of my own company, uh, I have to answer to the board. So I'm still in the middle of the organization, even as CEO. So pick up the book and get a different perspective on leadership, one that you probably haven't read before. This is an excellent book and learn from Mitch's experiences. And I think that, uh, you know, you will be a better leader if you do that. So thank you very much, Mitch. And I really appreciate uh, all of your insight. So thank you. Oh, and John, thank you so much for having me on. It's been an honor and it's been fun too. Um, but again, I, 
thank you for everything you've done for me over the past year. We connected a, a little over a year ago, and uh, I, I really appreciate everything you've done for me. And uh, and I love your book too. I can't wait for the second one to come out. <laughs> I'm working on it. I should be working on it today. But yeah, I'm here with you. <laughs> so. Well, very good. Thank you very much. And uh, well, that's it for today on the podcast. So if you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. So until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.